0: All right, getting back into the situation taking place in Ukraine. Um, This morning, our prime minister, uh, this morning, our time, our prime minister uh, was there in that part of the world, at least meeting with other foreign ministers and the head of NATO. So these high level meetings are continuing and there's all kinds of discussion about what the next steps might be. One of the big asks out of Ukraine uh, for a number of days now was a plea to the United States to help Kyiv get more warplanes to try and help fight what's going on with Russia and try and maintain control of the airspace. You've heard talk about no-fly zones. Um, It's a non-starter for for most people who seriously take a look at it from NATO's point of view. um, And the reasoning, as far as I understand it, is because in order to have a no-fly zone, you must enforce it. And to enforce it, you must engage in combat with Russian planes, which means World War III. So it's a non-starter for most people who've taken a look at this. But is there a way around providing planes to Ukraine so they can enforce it on their own? And that's the discussion at hand. And uh, we're going to get into it now with Dr. David Berkusen, who is a professor of history, director emeritus at the Center of Military Security and Strategic Studies at the University of Calgary. Doctor, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. No problem. Um, let's just go through this. First of all, why they ask for the warplanes from Ukraine? This has become sort of one of their main talking points so far this week.
1: Well, they've got a, they still got an air force left, but it's a, it's an obsolete air force, and uh, they've got way few, uh, way, way smaller air force than the Russians have got. Uh, it's amazing that it's lasted this long, but uh, clearly, the, what the Russians are out for is uh, complete air supremacy. Right. They, they don't have it because they don't have enough uh, fighter jets or they're not using them properly and the ukrainians have got a lot of anti-aircraft missiles but the, the ukrainians believe that if they were to get more fighter planes that uh, they would be able to better protect themselves
0: okay so now ukraine's saying provide us with fighter planes and there's a sort of backroads route maybe poland will donate some planes and the u.s will give poland some planes why not just have the u.s give planes directly to ukraine
1: because uh Russia has made it very clear that that would uh, constitute as far as they were concerned that would constitute NATO involving itself in the war. Okay. And we don't know what's going on inside of uh Putin's head, so uh, will that would that constitute uh, another step towards a third world war? We don't know. We've got to be very careful about that.
0: And so in in the meantime this discussion about, you know, maybe providing them through a third country Essentially, you're still doing the same thing, right? I mean, it's an, it would be another uncertain step
1: to take. It is a very uncertain step. Uh, probably nobody knows this anymore, but in, in, uh, it, at the beginning of the Second World War, when the United States was neutral and Canada was at war, this was in September of 1939, uh, American neutrality laws forbade the flying of American aircraft to Canada. And uh, what they did was they, came, they, they had a lot of these airplanes, they flew them to places in uh, North Dakota, Montana, and so on, and they, and they hooked them, they brought them across the border behind tractors or horses or whatever, and then they flew them away. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's a viable alternative for what's <laughs> going on there, but it's the closest thing that I could think of from a historical example of what might be done. But then you see, uh, you know, uh, the mad murderer in Moscow might say, well, that constitutes NATO interfering in a war, and I don't care how they get those airplanes. Right. I mean, that's that's the problem.
0: That's the issue here. I think when you're talking about anything, I mean, it seems like you're splitting hairs, really. And I I guess the question is, when you talk about this no-fly zone, we keep, you know, there are still, uh, today, this morning, politicians in Ukraine demanding that NATO uh, enforce a no-fly zone, you know, help us win this war. Um, that's a non-starter, right? Because we know if you're going to institute a no-fly zone, you must enforce it, and that's World War III, correct? That's yeah, for sure. Well,
1: yeah, we, we believe it's World War Three, and who the hell wants to take the right. chance? Now, I understand why they keep demanding this, even though they know they're never going to get it, because, you know, at the end of the day, if if the Ukraine survives as an independent political entity, and I have my doubts that it will. I certainly hope it will. But if it doesn't, uh, or if it does, then they've got voters to think of. And uh, th- their people are pressing them. Why can't we get a no-fly zone? Yeah. Every time we see another one of these, of these terrible pictures of, of bodies lying in the streets and somebody being interviewed, he says, I want a no-fly zone. My family has just been killed. Well, you can understand that, and I can understand it. But the larger question is, uh, how far do we want to go with this? and uh, there's danger already of, uh, of of the Russians mistaking and dropping bombs into Poland or whatever. Mm-hmm. These kinds of things have happened before, and uh, this is about, probably as close to a World War III as we're going to get to. the Cuban Missile Crisis of the early 1960s.
0: So when we take a look at it, you know, I mean, we, we're not throwing around World War III lightly. Is that why um, it's so... because, I mean, we know that NATO could respond in different ways and do things, but their hands are tied, in a sense, here, in terms of what they can and can't do. They have to, they're going to try and support Ukraine as best they can, but at the same time, they have to be well aware that it could very easily tip into something that nobody wants.
1: Exactly, because a World War Three means we all go up and smoke. Right. So the, the question is, how much can you do uh, without pushing, uh, you know, the Russian ruler, I won't say his name, uh, the Russian ruler to the point where he says, okay, you've gone too far, and uh, and and I, I can't lose this war. Uh, I have to save face, push the button. No, that's the problem we're dealing with here. And uh, it's a significantly large problem.
0: When what we're seeing from NATO, as somebody who analyzes this and studies this, what do you think they're attempting to do at this point? Is it matter, is just containment, try and, and, and Keep this contained to the area, and, and hopefully not see it escalate and spread further.
1: Well, that that would be number one priority. Number two priority is to fill the uh, Ukraine with as many weapons as possible, uh, anti aircraft and uh, and anti tank weapons primarily. For some reason, the Russians uh, don't seem to be using very many uh, guided munitions. They they drop dumb bombs everywhere, so their their uh, their aircraft are coming in fairly low, and that makes them vulnerable to these uh, shoulder-fired uh, anti-aircraft weapons, besides the S-300 systems that Ukraine already has. And they're knocking planes out of the air. But, you know, the Russian Air Force is fairly large. And it really depends on how much uh, the, the, mad mula, the mad murderer of Moscow is going uh, to send, how much of his air force he's going to send to Ukraine and strip the rest of his country of air defenses. So that's, that's a big problem for him.
0: it's so where where do you see this going like honestly what do you think uh, the the next step is next week next month next
1: year there's no there's he's going to push this right to the end so what is the end i mean he's going to try to occupy all of ukraine there's no question about it and he may succeed in doing that in the long run but then what i mean once your dog catches the car that he or she is chasing what do they do with it because he's got a completely hostile population. Even with all the refugees, there will be at least 40 million people left in Ukraine. They don't want him there. They won't cooperate with him. They won't cooperate with his government. You'll probably have a prolonged guerrilla war of one sort or another. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it is, well, this will be like enough, another Afghanistan for him. Um, and that's just, you know, Ukraine will lose its independence for now. And who knows what will happen when and if this guy is ever off the scene. I, I just don't see how I don't see how Ukraine can possibly win this war. It's, it's it's very sad to say that, but I don't see it.
0: Well, I mean, and that's the other thing. Realistically speaking, if NATO decides, or you know, any of the allies decide that okay, we can't jump in and basically fight this war on Ukraine's behalf, we can support them. You're talking yeah. about Ukraine fighting against really one of the only military superpowers. Say what you want about Russia in terms of armaments and all the rest. Militarily, yeah. they're still yeah. a superpower.
1: Yes, they are uh, now on the ground. They're not the kind of a superpower that the United States is. Yes. I mean, the United States military is, I believe, about four or five times the size of the Russian military, and I'm talking about tanks and, our, and infantry and artillery and all of that sort of thing. But they certainly are the largest in Europe, and uh, they, uh, you know, they should have rolled over the Ukrainians a long time ago. Except what you've got here is. Uh, this is, you know, this is Hitler invading uh, the U.K. in 1940. The same thing would have happened if, if the Germans had done that in 1940. As Churchill said, we'll fight them on the landing grounds, we'll fight them on the beaches, we'll fight them in the forests, we'll fight them in the cities, we shall never surrender. And that's the kind of uh, of, of spirit that's motivating the Ukrainians right now. And that's worth a lot. Yeah. That's worth a lot. But. At the end of the day, you know, uh, there's no substitute for size. As as we sometimes say, uh, quantity has a quality all of its own. And uh, what you've got with Russia is you've got quantity.
0: Right, yeah. Okay, Uh, Dr. Berkerson, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. No problem. That is Dr. David Berkeson, who is a professor of history and director emeritus at the Center of Military Security and Strategic Studies at the University of Calgary. Um, Yeah, interesting around the planes. And somebody sent a text. um, I've heard that, you know, they can't fly certain planes. Yeah, absolutely. It depends what the Ukrainian um, pilots are trained on. Right. One of the main issues is MiGs, you know, the Russian planes um, that they can fly those. That's what Poland has. So the planes would go from Poland and be shipped into Ukraine. They can fly those. They're trained on those. Um, And then Poland's air force would be backfilled by the United States with F-16s. I don't know. It's all very confusing. And then the other issue, which was raised by our guest, is the fact, okay, fine. How do you get those planes into Ukraine, right? Because we've just said, we made it very clear, and our guest made it very clear, that NATO has said we will not be sending troops of any kind into Ukraine. There will be no boots on the ground. There will be no planes in the air. We are not doing it. Our troops will not enter Ukraine. So, okay, how do you get the planes there? Is it a situation like it was where you park them at the border and push them across? I mean, that's the big discussion that's going right now is, you know, how how would it work if they decide to get the planes into Ukraine? How do you get them there? How do you do it? Because there's that vow that NATO troops will not, will not set foot. In Ukraine. Why? World War III. And that discussion, I think, as hard as it is to have and as frustrating as it is and as upsetting as it is, there's a lot of military analysts out there saying, you know what? We understand you want the no-fly zone. We understand you want NATO support. We understand you want Europe to jump in on your behalf. We can't. We just cannot do it.